Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode 69 of the Galen Trombley Show. I have, um, this is actually, I think our third, I gotta check back. This might be our third, yeah, third Shazy um, person, I don't know what we call it, community member um, in a row. We had uh, Mark Henry on 67, we had Sam Morris on 68, and now we have number 69, batting number, or what is it, uh, batting, uh, batting third, I guess, number 69, Joe Colomb. So Joe, welcome. Thank you. If you uh, knew my baseball skills, you'd know there's no way I'm batting third. <laughs> um, what, did you wear number 69, maybe? No, I, I don't think that was kind of frowned upon in high school. I was going to say, about, going above 30 on the... On the uh, I on wore four for Lou Gehrig. Um, so, did you play baseball? I played the bench, yes. <laughs> uh, so, we, we were just talking before you got... And, and I know Joe basically just from Shazy, Shazy ties. I think that's the only reason I really we know each other. Chasey soccer, things like that. I mean, community yeah. member. I mean, I, I guess that's it. But um, so I've known Joe now for probably what, 10, 15 years? Yeah, probably about that. I'm probably fifth, closer to 15 than yeah. 10. I think I probably f- really knew you or really like actually met you probably in high school. When I was in high school, just through soccer and um, through Rob and stuff. And then obviously, as I was on the other side of, of uh, the line, I guess, or on the sideline, on the coaching staff, I knew you a little bit more and stuff, which is always a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it's always nice. I mean, McAuliffe never admits it, but I carried him in high school. I, I figured. There's yeah. always a... Yeah. He, he got the accolades, but there was never, like... Well, he's he's the pretty boy, and, that, and that's nice. And So you're kind of like the stunt devil, or stunt he, double, right? Yeah, I have the perfect face for radio. So, you but, know, he had to be, like the face of the franchise back then, and then the hot shot coach. But let's be honest, all he's ever done is ride Tom Tregan's coattails. Took the coaching job, took the principal's job. <laughs> if I were Tom, I'd have video cameras in on the doorways of his house. <laughs> um, so did, did, so for uh, we, before we got on, you, you walked in with you have a Tim Raines Expos jersey, which makes me very happy. And then you also have... An Expos bucket hat that's kind of like a mosaic Expos logo. Actually, the old, like what they had on the jersey, the old Expos, like uh, cursive script writing. Yeah. Um, so we're both big Expos fans, and we started talking about baseball. And one of the things that you said, which I was excited about, was that you believe 100% the Expos are coming back. Oh, absolutely. They've got a great ownership group now. They've got Stephen Boffman, who's heading it up. they got the Molsons involved. They'll be involved as minority owners. They bought land in the Peel Basin area for a stadium. I mean, baseball is just not going to work in Tampa Bay, and everybody knows it. So within 10 years, I think Tampa Bay will be full-time Montreal. Um, and, and I'm assuming the way I think, too, is AL East, right? I think it has to be to survive. I mean, we, yeah. we, we tried the NL East the last time, but unless you're John Trigan, nobody gives a crap about the Mets. True. And, and well, when, that was when I was watching... 
Well, they they were always in the NL East, right? Yeah, because I started watching it like going to the games in the late '90s and all the way to. I mean, I only went for six or seven years. I was young at the time, but um, yeah, the NL East, the Mets were the biggest rivalry. And and again, besides what 2000, they really weren't that good of a team because they had 2000 went to the World Series, but then you pretty much had the Braves that just ran that division for 10 years. Right. What what happened was the Pirates were in the NL East and they were pretty good. Then they lost Bonds and Bonilla. So I was thinking, well, the Expos got a shot to finish first. But then they realigned it, and they moved the Pittsburgh out and moved the Braves in just as they put together, you know, Smoltz and Glavin and Maddox. Yeah. And I'm like, whoever's doing this doesn't like Montreal because they did everything they could to make sure we never won that division. 94, best team in baseball, work stoppage, World Series canceled. D- did you go watch them a lot in 94? I went up. I don't know. Because you were what? You were probably just getting out of college around then? Or? Yeah, I was old enough. We went well, you to, were in the military, right, around that time? Well, I was in the reserves. We went up to probably about 10 games a year. I mean... That's good, though. I yeah, mean, it was baseball was cheap back then. Uh, well, I remember going down, and we always sat in the first baseline, but when you look at the ticket prices back then, especially the exchange rate, late 90s, early 2000s, it was... I mean, it was very affordable to go, go to games. So the one thing I missed was they moved when I was 14 years old. Had they been around when I was 18, 19, 20, I would have had a heck of a lot more fun, I think, going up, you know, with buddies and just driving up and being able to, you know, yeah, I know what do, you're saying. do adult stuff up there, which has been fun. So, uh, but yeah, the Expos, that's because we just talked about the Nationals winning. To me, was not the same. I wasn't, I mean, I wanted them to win, but I wasn't as excited. I mean, um, had they lost, it wouldn't have hurt my feelings either. But, Again, if it was the Expos, I would have watched every single at bat, and the and, you know Nationals. It was it just it wasn't there for me. It it was for me. I I tried to hate them, but I couldn't. I got drawn back to them from the seventh inning on of Game Seven. I'm talking to Lori Lefave through Facebook Messenger. Yep. You know, in the seventh inning, I'm I'm like, we're gonna blow this game. I'm crying. Eighth inning, I'm like, we're gonna win it. Ninth inning, we're both really happy. Then they win it, and it was just so surreal. I was crying like a little baby. Honestly, it was a. Uh, one of the great sports memories of my life, just to finally, when you love something from your age five to 48 and they finally get it right. Yeah. It's pretty magical. Um, now, Lori lives down there, right? Yeah, she lives, she goes to quite a few games. Yeah. Did you graduate with Lori? No. She, close? No. Well, yeah, close. Age-wise? I guess she was like four years older and she was really pretty. So I didn't talk to her. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, an underclassman doesn't talk to the hot senior. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, but I, I, like, I know a little bit, my sister actually, I think interned or did something down there in DC and uh, Lori helped, um, Sagan out, but I wasn't, I never, I've never met Lori. I, I don't think personally, but I've seen her on, you know, on social media and stuff, but I know she's still very involved in Jay-Z, but she was also an Expos fan or a Nationals fan, yeah. I should say. Um, which actually worked out probably good for her if she was an Expos fan as a kid. And yeah. they happened to move like in your back door at that point, yeah. back door to back door or backyard, I guess not back door. But, um, so with that being said, going into this year, you said you think the season's going to go to about a 140, I think roughly. 140, 150, because I mean, cause that's uh, what about a mid end of May. Well, roughly it, I was going to say, cause they probably play about 30, 40 games by end of May. Yeah. They're going to, I mean, if it's shut down right now for say three weeks, then there's going to need probably at least another three weeks of spring training. So that, you know, we're almost in May by the first game. And you can't go too long because you can't expect people to pay $3,000 for a World Series ticket and be absolutely freezing. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, in mid-November. Well, I think baseball probably has the best shot at making it happen because of how long the season is in general. Yeah, they can they can shave games, and it's not really going to notice. Whereas basketball, I mean, not not that I care about the NBA anymore, except for Celtic pride, baby. <laughs> but I mean, it, basketball it probably helps the good teams. Because they're getting time off to get healthy before a playoff run. Do you think, because it's, it, that and hockey is suspended. It's not canceled, right? Right. So, I mean, in theory, they could come back, you know, because really the season goes into June. They, they might end up this, end up going into July yeah. if they had to. But if they start the playoffs like early June, it's not going to make that much of a difference. Just no, being, because, especially because it's an indoor game. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they can go really as long as they need to. And I, I think the owners and players will because there's too much money on the table. Yeah, and, and what the one I was thinking about yesterday, what about the Olympics this year? Tokyo. I don't see it. Yeah. I Do you think it gets pushed? I think it gets pushed one year out. Like goes to 2021. I think I think it has to because you you know, to host the Olympics now you're you're spending billions on infrastructure and stadiums. How do you tell them sorry and yeah. en- enjoy your big empty pools? Well, well well that and the fact that you Olympics is every four years, so these people are like the athletes are training for yeah. one every four years. You cancel it, and for a lot of them, they're done because of age, you know. And um, I would think if they could stretch it out to 2021, because um, right now they're probably just getting ready to start like qualifications for the Olympics. They typically do it a couple months out. Yeah. Um, so they're probably hitting that full steam because Olympics probably what July, August, something like that. When they, yeah, I think so. Depending on climate. Because I know when they had it in China, it was like August. So maybe it's an August Olympics. So maybe it'll be okay. Maybe by the time maybe this all buzzes or uh, flies over, it might be like June or something. And then... Yeah, I think it'll be business be to... business as usual by May. We'll kill off a bunch of people and get back to business. Not, just, not to sound morbid, but I mean... No, you just... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's kind of bound to happen. I guess these, these things come around. Um, so with that being said, we're... Give, give us a little bit of your background, Joe. Like where you grew up, where'd you come from? Um, you know, obviously I know, I know you as a, you know, I didn't know you in high school or anything. I know now, like I said, kind of over the last 10 years, but give us like a background leading up to now. Okay. I was born in a hospital, I believe, in, in Cobleskill, New York. Um, I was adopted at age four by my, obviously my now parents, um, Spent half a year of kindergarten at Sacred Heart Nursery School in Troy, New York Catholic School. Wore the uniforms with the ties. And I remember the tie fell off, the clip-on tie fell off in the toilet. So I did what you're taught. I flushed it. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure that didn't go over well. And then half a year in, started at Sheezy. And uh, first day in kindergarten, shy kid doesn't know anyone. I open up the little cubby and all the board games fall out and the pieces go everywhere. And I, I am still traumatic to this day. PJ Gondek and I'll talk about it from time to time. Like, ah, oh, what an introduction. Who was your kindergarten teacher? My kindergarten teacher was Mrs. Amon and Mrs. Strong. Did you have either of those? I had, I had Mrs. Amon. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Mrs. Strong, you could get out of nap time if you gave her a back rub. <laughs> now, of course... <laughs> That is no longer allowed. And, and, and <laughs> it's it was, frowned upon. Yeah, it was strictly platonic. It's, you know, but now, no, you can't. Uh, <laughs> you can't ask a five-year-old to rub any part of your body, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I didn't have her, but Mrs. Amon, I actually had Kathy Davis as a kindergarten mm-hmm. teacher. Mrs. Amon went up to, 
She she wrote out her last three years as our fourth, fifth, and sixth grade teacher because we had kind of like a bubble class. Wow. So, all right. So kindergarten, yeah. Jay Z. Um, first grade is Mrs. Crowner. Second grade, I had Mrs. McGraw, and it was the end of the year. She called me up to her desk. She said, "I'm going to be your teacher again next year." And I thought, "Oh, she's moving up to third grade," but she wasn't. So I repeated second grade. So then in third grade, I had the great Mr. Lund. And he got up at the end of third grade and said, I'm going to be your teacher again next year. And I thought, holy crap, I'm getting too old for this. But luckily, he moved up to fourth grade. Thank God. I would have been like 22 when graduating. I definitely would have been popular. The senior that can buy beer. So, you know, graduated in 1990. Tremendous class with Robert M. McAuliffe and Jen Langlois were both um, Shazy you know, CCRS people now and mm-hmm. had, had a great time. After that, my first job, I went to work at the, the A&P at the North Country Shopping Center. Okay, yeah. Stocking shelves. It was great. You know, you work night crew. You only saw a couple people that actually shopped that late. And the restroom would come in at two from the old penalty box looking to <laughs> shoplift something to eat because they were drunk. <laughs> was so, it was the penalty, what was the penalty box? Is penalty, that across the road? Yeah, it was the penalty box, and it became Pappy Jack's, and now it's where Finney Sports is located. Oh, okay. I was thinking, uh, eight, remember 8-Ball eight Billiards yeah. for a while? So it was next door. Yeah, 8-Ball Billiards for a while. I think it, it was an Italian restaurant. I think it was called, oh, it's Papa Joe's. That's what it was. Really? In yeah. that spot? My, my grandmother and my step-grandfather used to like to go there. Or at least get takeout because they were thrifty and Thursday nights was buy one, get one spaghetti dinner for free. I'm like, oh, we, we can't pass that up. I'm like, it's spaghetti. It, it's a, it's amazing. The, the, uh, like you're seeing businesses, you know, obviously pop up, but like what it was 20, 30 years ago, there's like up right above us, we used to be, I call it the DNH, I guess. The, it was a restaurant. That was a popular place for uh, prom. Yeah, and I how when was that around? Do you was that your that time? Was, yeah, that was around at my time. I don't remember when it closed, but I mean that was an upscale place. Yeah, you know you had that, and you had the Royal Savage, and you had Windows on the Bay, where like the mainstays that everybody went to for their prom. Now they're all gone. Where was Windows on the Bay? Because I've heard of that too. Windows on the Bay was right next to uh, I Care for the Adirondacks. It's actually he uses that for storage and stuff now. You you see the the big place. Um, the wooden building sitting on the beach, basically. He he basically mm-hmm. used the parking lot front of that was a pretty pretty nice restaurant yeah. back, back in the day, which I I think would do well now, given you know people are looking for lakefront dining and stuff now. Where back then people were like, no, it's no big deal. If I want lakefront dining, I'll go down the road to McDonald's. Yeah, and I, I know it's we, there's a. Uh... I mean, the Mariner just opened up, which is down yep. where Danny's, Dana's uh, Rusty Anchor was. And then, I mean, the Turtle in the summer, but that's pretty much it. I think, well, um, Dominic's. Yeah, and Dominic's. Is it, is it still called Dominic's, the one down by the marina? I, is it Enzo's at Dominic's, maybe? It could be. That That's good, too. Yeah, that's. I, I really like going there. I just Very good food. I, 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 it's one of those that I've only been a couple times in my life, which I don't know why, because it's really good, especially um, especially in the summer when you're right in the waterfront. But I think if they can get, you know, I'd like, I mean, we have all this right here, this land out the window, and then there's the land down there off of J Street, and it's just like prime right. land right in front of the lake. That'd be nice to get some restaurants and a little bit more touristy or touristy stuff. But so you had your job at, at the uh, A&P. Mm-hmm. 
And then that was, that was what, right out of school? Yeah, that was, well, what happened was I graduated school. I went to AIT for the Army Reserve. So I went to Redstone Arsenal in Alabama and I got back. I walked in the house and my dad threw me a set of keys. He said, these are keys to your new apartment. Now find a job. This was 18? Uh, 19, yeah. 19. So Todd Hostler, Dave Lars, and myself, we went to Cooperstown on vacation because now I got this apartment. I got no job. I'm stressed. So I'm like, I need a vacation. So we, <laughs> so we, we went to uh, Plattsburgh Beverage Discount and loaded up the vehicle with the essentials and spent like four days down there, Cooperstown during the day, drinking in the cabin at night. And, and I got back and I, I walked into the AMP and um, the manager who was Mel LaForest says, I hear you're looking for a job. I'm like, yeah, I guess I am. He's like, good. I hired you Monday. Fill out this application. <laughs> um, so was he just somebody you knew at the time? He was friends with my parents. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, so at Cooperstown, I'm assuming you guys went to the Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah. Um, so, and when you were, because I, I know, and, and you have you always stayed in the area for the most part? Did you live yeah. away at all? No, I've been here except for like, what, six months during Desert Storm, in which I was in Germany, Shazy or Plattsburgh, pretty much since, I don't know, the age of three, maybe, yeah. four. Because, um, and, I, and I know every year, because this is something I see you always post about, is, so your father and grandfather were both in the military? Because isn't, isn't that Yeah, my, my dad was in the Marines, which is kind of funny, because he's such a quiet, laid-back guy. And most Marines are pretty arrogant. If you're listening to this and you're a Marine, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Go army. So, so, um, so you're, you're in the army. Your father was in, um, the Marines grandfather. My grandfather was actually, he, I found this out after he died. He got world war two drafted. I have his letter at home, had to report to the O'Brien County draft board, was inducted into the U S army, went to Fort Jackson, which was in Mississippi for medic training, rode with Patton's third army all across Africa and Europe and was a medic on D-Day. But I mean, he never, he never said any of this. I had no idea until after he died. He, he wasn't the type to talk about that. He, I mean, we would fish for literally hours every day during the summer and I had no idea. Yeah. The, well, always military, they're always, the ones that I think that are, were really involved, a lot of them stay hush hush about it just because for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, and I think a lot of them, if you go into that field, you're not really a boastful or bragful type of person. Um, but so, um, where was it going with that? Um, oh shoot. I just, I just blanked out. There's something I want to ask you about that. We said army where we, um, yeah, I'm really just, I literally just had a thought in my head. Um, so the military guy, we'll, we'll come back to, it'll come back to me. Are, are you history buff? I yeah. am. I, I love history and I, I hate to say it, but this whole pandemic right now, I mean, I know it's horrible, but it's also fascinating mm-hmm. because I, in 48 years, I've never seen anything like toilet paper shortage. I mean, really? I mean, you know, we've, the shortages are at Christmas with the hot toy. Now people are like, I could be stuck at home for two weeks. I need 80 rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> I know. And you so, also need to adjust your eating habits I, if that's the case. This is what I was wondering too. I'm like, how, how much toilet paper do you go through? Where you got to stack up. I mean, you're, they're like planning on years almost with, with some of this, but, um, yet what well, I was last night, we had dinner with some friends and, uh, one of their daughters actually was doing some research on, it, and she said that, I guess all the twenties have had 
like some type of like pandemic academic epidemic um going back as far as like 16 1700s like it was always like whatever the 20s were and i guess back in like just just before the 20s they said the last major one was like 1918 there was a big wipeout in spain was it spanish influenza was that what it's called yeah and a lot of people got sick from that so it's almost like a, a, a cyclical thing um but so from a history perspective like when did i mean what because i like history too that was one of my favorite classes growing up and um i try again i don't read as much history as i'd like to i have some books over there that i want to get into but um like where where'd your love for history come because i know you talk a lot about history stuff like when if or you have a good memory for things. Yeah, maybe that's it because it was an easy class for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, because if I can hear someone say it, I can remember it. Whereas math, you have to do the work. So, yeah, and then, of course, then I had Mr. LaFleche in seventh grade. Yeah. Was- who was an absolutely brilliant storyteller. Henry and Abigail stories. And if you'll pardon my French, but if you don't straighten up, I'm going to kick your... Then he would say a word that I don't want to say here, but it wasn't French. So, I mean, he really made history come alive. And, and then history is fascinating, like the Civil War. Like, we need to take that hill. So we're willing to sacrifice 30,000 people to move 500 yards. I'm like, yeah, it's just, it's crazy to, to think about what they would do to get a piece of real estate. Um, well, the, the history aspect, yeah, because I had, I had Mr. Uh, LaFleche. And then we had, well, Rob was my, but he he's a great storyteller also, which... He went into the history field. So a lot of us, we were lucky to have some very good history teachers throughout. And one of the things that I like about history is, like, I, I like kind of, like, it's cool to look at patterns in history. Kind of like this, you know, the uh, coronavirus. And then, but then you also look at patterns, whether it be from, you know, music or even um, patterns from the way that civilizations live. Um, and then also I like pattern or not patterns, but historical people. Like, I like learning, you know, why was so-and-so successful or what did they do and then kind of you know just kind of pick their brain even though like i have a couple older books on like ben franklin like the guy's been he hasn't been around for 300 plus years but it's still fascinating to look at what he did and not not necessarily what he accomplished because it's you know it's um dependent on the time frame obviously he wasn't coming up with the computer but he was coming up but it was more the mindset like what was his mindset at the time which is very similar to say like an elon musk in 2020 they're both working and tinkering on stuff for Thomas Edison, but you know what was their mindset? What were they doing to try to accomplish what they could at the time, given the technology they had? And it's it's fascinating because there's a lot of similarities. Because I mean, humans humans evolve, but over 300 years, they don't evolve that quickly in 300 years. You know, compared to a thousand years or two thousand years right. or tens of thousands of years. So we're very similar, I think, to people 300 years ago. I mean, fashion style, you know. Uh, lingo and uh or the way we talk is a little different but grand scheme of things you still have a lot of the same mannerisms and same natural tendencies so it's cool i like always like seeing those things and kind of connecting the dots there i don't know why it's just always i'm fascinated i like learning like that's one of my i guess one of my hobbies is constantly learning stuff and books do it you know or you know i watch a lot of youtube videos to kind of figure stuff out with that and is that something that you do you constantly learning like yeah i I love like the, the obscure things like there's an obscure article. I'm like, well, I should read this. And, you know, I, I've read books that I hated, but I'm like, well, but it's historical. So I'll finish it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I read like a 700 page biography on Howard Hughes. And I'm like, it wasn't very good, but I learned some stuff. And I'm like, 
maybe I could have learned it in 200 pages and been a little yeah. happier. Was it, well, Howard Hughes, he's the uh, aviator? Yeah, he was, yeah, he was the, uh, you know, brilliant aviator. Um, was an oil tycoon? Yeah, well, he... Or where did he make he, his money? Hughes, um, tool and die, and then Hughes aircraft, and then eventually that, that evolved into like... Um, DirecTV actually used to be a Hughes Corp thing. I mean, long after he died, but so he just, you know, kept going. He was the type of guy that he he would buy up the radio stations and television stations on a whim. And then he would be a recluse in later years in his hotel room. And he would call up before the remote control. He would call up the television station he owned to help the broadcast to sound louder. Yeah, that's yeah, because that was his thing, right? Because he just became kind of a... Uh shut in right and it's like, well at least from the movie yeah that's kind of how it portrayed was he was big into like the movies and just kind of really just kind of pissed through money because he had a bunch and I, I don't i think didn't really care but i think he was also one of those guys that kind of tried to push the envelope a little bit um that's a long movie though so it was tough to get through and yeah kind of dozed off in spots but yeah but it's fascinating because he was crazy he didn't care that when he went to vegas the mob ran vegas he's like well i'm gonna buy this hotel and you can't intimidate me because i'm crazy so, I mean, yeah. he was probably more responsible for modern Vegas, I guess, without the big mob influence. But, you know, I'll, I'll read just about anything. I am a big, like, Kennedy family yeah. guy, you know. Where did that come from, the Kennedys? I always loved John Kennedy from an early age. I, I think, and I always think, like, his voice and his dream for America probably most closely mirror mine than any other politician I've heard speak. Mm -hmm. And granted, with him, it's only tapes and yeah. stuff. Yeah, because, well, I know Rob's a huge, yeah. huge Kennedy guy, too. Well, Jack, obviously, I think is, right? He's named yeah. after um, JFK. But, uh, yeah, because, I mean, that was before my time, and I haven't looked too much into it, but I know, I mean, there's not a lot of, like, Irish Catholic presidents. No, he, was, he I, was the only one, and a lot of people at the time didn't think a Catholic could be president. They thought he would be too beholden to the Pope, I mean, which, which seems odd because, I mean, just the way the country was built, a lot of it was like in God we trust and everything else. You yeah. think that that would be kind of a, what were most of the presidents then from a religious standpoint? A lot of them, I mean, there were all, a lot of them were Christian, but like, were they Lutheran, uh, Baptist, Protestant? Probably, probably Protestant early on. John, uh, John Adams, I think was probably the closest to an atheist. Yeah. When he uh, signed the uh, Treaty of Tripoli, for to end the war of 1812 he wrote we are he made sure to put on there we are not a christian nation which i mean now you hear it all the time our we were founded as a christian nation but i mean we were founded under religious freedom and yeah and now you know it seems like it's a good time to be a white christian in america but some of the minorities are take are taking it bad because of backlash and just fear yeah well, I, yeah, the religious thing's always weird because, like, even in politics, they they play the religious card at times. And yeah. it's like I, I, I don't. One of my things, like, with a lot of stuff, is I don't, I don't like the idea. Like, I like if you, I like people that earn their spots or whatever. It's kind of like playing, um, you know, go back to sports. Like, how do you play on the soccer team? You're one of the top eleven players, or you're the, the top player at that position. Is how you play. It's not. It's not like. Who, you know what your name is what color of skin you are where you came from who your parents are where like 
how much money you have. If you are good, are you a smart kid in school? Like it's really like, can you play soccer? Like that's where we're basing it off is your skill level. And then yes, attitude and effort and stuff like that, but you have to earn your spot. It's not just, we're going to give it to you because, well, there's no other freshman that's on the starting lineup. So we're just going to give it to a freshman. Like that's not the case. And same thing with senior. If a senior could be, you know, you might think the senior deserves it because he's been on the team for four years, but all of a sudden you have a really good freshman class that comes in that are better players the better players are going to play. So I always find that like using religion in like a political stance is like going in saying like, well, I'm a, you know, whatever I, I, I wear Nike shoes and versus Adidas. So we only have, you know, right. you should put me on the start starting field where I don't think it just, it doesn't stuff like that. seems like it doesn't make sense to me because where it, I don't know how that really affects everybody else, depending what you are. And I know, I know sometimes it, it ties in. I know some people look at that as, you know, if you're very religious, that's something that you hold valuable. But I just find when you start using those little platforms to just gain votes, it's not, not a very sincere way to gain votes versus just like, Hey, this is me as a person, or this, this is what I stand for instead of kind of playing that card. Cause then I also wonder how many actually are very big in practicing it. Yeah. I, I versus think going for photo ops just as, you know, when you, when you start running for president, you have to find a church and, you know, yeah. and I'm like, Listen, going to church doesn't make you a good person. It, it yeah. just it just doesn't. I mm-hmm. mean, a good person's a good person. They can be an atheist. I mean, you can practice anything you want except for snake handling. If you think God's going to protect you from getting bit by a cobra, <laughs> you have bet on the wrong horse. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. I was going to say that. Well, that's that's um, I, I, it's kind of the one where I, I live like I know you have like the Ten Commandments and and mm-hmm. but I think. I always look at it if you just like live by like the golden rule. Very yeah. simple. Like if you live by that, you're pretty good. So I I've, I've always just tried to be a good person to people and not like judge not judge people, but you know, it could be someone where they might have they might be in a certain situation, but you don't know their background. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know like um it could be you know, like I, I have two kids now. Like kids are tough, man. And like when you start like raising a family and you look at other people that, you know, maybe they're struggling at something, but I'm like they're a single mom with a kid. Like I I mean, we have two kids, and we have, but I have me and my wife, and she does, I mean, she she's with the kids way more than I am, but I mean, it's still the idea, like, it's a team effort just to kind of give each other some relief, and when someone's doing everything on their own, I just look at certain situations where people are quick to judge people when they don't, know, so it's kind of like just be good to someone, like, you want to want someone judging you about stuff they don't know about, and then I think that just encompasses everything. You don't need... Ten Commandments, and you don't need, right? You know, a book or you know all these scriptures or whatever to tell you how to act. Just be like to me, just be a good person. Then it doesn't matter what you practice, right? I but, I try to remind myself that everyone has a secret story that you know nothing about. So yeah. Try to be kind because I mean, you know, I have an acid tongue, and I don't know, I'm not always the nicest person, and I, I struggle with that. So, but I I try to treat everyone well, and I try to include everyone because I'm an introvert. If I go to a party. I'm like, how long do I have to stay before I can leave? Mm -hmm. In one party right over here at the historic Lowell mansion, I got stuck longer because the guest hid my jacket. And I'm like, it was in the wintertime. Like, I want to walk home without a jacket, but I really, I'm not having a good time. There's too many people I don't know. Yeah. So I spent like the last 20 minutes of the party trying to figure out what room my jacket was in so I could sneak out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, no, I think that's a good way to go. And I, I, like one of the things I always admire about you is that, you have a way of you're you're very obviously humor plays a big part you know and and how you deal with people but i think you're you're very quick 
you're very quick like with with the joke which i know people have said about about you but it's usually always directed in a very well-mannered and even if you're ragging on you know your buddies and friends and stuff that's and that's one of the things i always appreciate like you have buddies and we have like i have best friends from high school and like i've had them on the podcast you just rip on them for two hours and it's hilarious and you have a great time and i always find that that's just something that it's good to have you know friends like that that can kind of ease the tension or bring people back to reality because i find as like you get older people like people look at me different now in certain aspects and my friends from high school, just because, you know, you know each other from different times. But when you go back to high school, like it's still your buddies and like you, you still remember the dumb thing someone did in, you know, seventh grade science class. So you won't let them, let them live it down, even though it's been, you know, 20 years, which, you know, I have a good group of friends that that's what we do. You know, we just basically figure out a way to hammer on each other with, with a bunch of jokes and stuff. And we try to get together a couple times a year and whether it's for the Super Bowl or, or even just go get pizza and wings and beer or something somewhere just good to kind of catch up and still have ties to, you know, good friends growing up. I think you need that for for your sanity. I mean, I always tell people, if I'm not making funny, it's because I don't like you. I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time insulting someone I don't like. Just, I'm not even going to talk to you. Yeah. No, I, and, and uh, that, that's kind of where we're at with with some buddies. Like, I, I have some uh, some good friends that, like, every, a couple times a year we'll get together. And a lot of it is, we, we do the same stuff we did in high school. Like, we'll get wings we'll get pizza now now instead of uh, mountain dew we'll get beer and you know we're sitting there, we still play the n64 and we'll, we'll sit there and rag on each other for four hours at night play these old video games from the 90s and have a blast doing it and then like you almost leave refreshed because it's like yeah. you can kind of it's like an escapism where you can kind of go back in time a little bit but it's it's present day but allows you just to kind of strip everything away and you don't have to worry it's like that's one of my favorite times is when i get with my same guys i hung out with all the time in high school and even beyond and if we're all in town at the same time it's a blast like when i got married we played golf right before like the party like the morning of and we ended up we had more than four guys on on the the tee box but you know, literally, we nobody kept score. We all just played, and we made fun of each other for an entire round of golf. And it was one of the most fun rounds I've ever played. And I couldn't tell you what I shot. I couldn't tell you what anybody shot. I just know we made fun of each other the whole time in a good way, like joking way. And just it's, it's kind of cool when you can catch up from, you know, fifteen or not probably not fifteen, but like ten years for us at the time. Um, it was always a blast. But so for you, I want I want to hear a little bit of your rendition of soccer. So, because the reason I say this is different time period, you had a different coach, but I also want to hear the stories of how you think things have changed now. Because you've seen from a Shazy soccer perspective, which is kind of how I first uh, met you, is it safe to say you've probably seen, maybe not a thousand games, but you've seen 500? Yeah, I've... Maybe more? You know, I go back to like the 80s, the early 80s when I would get on... I would get on the school bus, and David Reynolds was on the school bus, and he had a Shazy slacker jacket. He was one of Brenner's boys, and, you know, George Brenner obviously being the coach back then, and that was a big deal to earn the soccer jacket. That's what every young kid, you know, wanted. You wanted to be one of Brenner's boys. So I thought he was the coolest coolest guy in the world, and I ended up playing summer soccer with him, and that, and that was a blast. He's a real nice guy. So I go back to him and, like, watching Jim Riley and those guys play, and back then, if you won the section championship, the sectionals, that was a huge deal because it was really, maybe you weren't expected to get any further than that. You weren't going to beat the next team. I mean, 
So you celebrated the Section 7 championship. We went to Little Caesars back then, and, you know, we got the pizza and the pitchers of soda, and we were, we listened from, say, like MAI Field, Seton Field, to Little Caesars, maybe 15 minutes on the bus. That's 15 minutes of listening to We Are the Champions by Queen nonstop. And so it was a big deal. And Coach Brunder retired 88-89 after the 88-89 season, so they brought in Tom Tregan, who was my coach my senior year. So I played my senior year with uh, little Robbie McAuliffe and Tim Collins and Chanus Hughes on defense. And Shay McAuliffe was our goalie. He was an outstanding goalie back then. And it, so, I mean, our first year in Tom's first year, he's taken over, you know, the most storied program in the North Country. He, so he kind of stood back and watched the traditions, you know, how we went about practice and how we warmed up for games. He didn't change much there, but he was still, it was still his team. Don't get me wrong. He probably about after the third practice, he figured we weren't going to be that good. So we better be in shape. And geez, he, he ran us at practice steady. Oh, geez. I miss coach Brenner. <laughs> you thought Tom was um, more, uh, I, I guess, forced more conditioning on you than Brenner. Yeah. Well, I think he thought we weren't very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had lost P.J. Gondek, Chris Kuman, Adam West, Kip Ladd. Um, we, we had lost uh, Dave Kip. We'd probably lost five, five All-Stars and mm-hmm. probably like seven starters. Mm-hmm. So now you're taking over for Coach Brunner and you're inheriting Rob McAuliffe and like 15 other people. So yeah. <laughs> you're like, and he's like, oh, I should have stayed at St. John's. You, you know, so, but... So, and then obviously, have, so same thing. We, we won the sectionals our senior year. We went down, you know, played section 10. Robbie was pretty beat up. They had a foreign exchange student that was really good. Scored two beautiful goals against Tim Collins. Tim couldn't mark him. Put that on the record. <laughs> I mean, kid lit him up from like 35 yards out. It was, it was a great, it was a great goal and, you know, if they didn't have that kid, I, I think we could have won the game. But th- that might just be revisionist history after 30 years. Yeah. But so, you know, and still. And then Rob took over, and it it kind of changed. And I think the one thing that, that he did was he kind of took it over from, like, the, the town program, too, as far as saying, let's get everyone on the same page. Because as you know, coming up, by the time you get to varsity, you've probably had seven to ten different coaches. Mm-hmm. And they've all taught you seven to ten different systems. So now you got to learn the varsity system. Mm-hmm. Whereas under Rob, they start learning this the same system, I think, at an early age. So when they come up, they're more prepared. And then the, the club soccer, it's gone to a whole different level that, than I would have ever thought it would, honestly. Like when we – so I started – well – so a little different. I went, I, kindergarten was 95, 96 for me. So put it like, so Rob was probably just, that was probably still Tom. And then Rob came in probably a year after that, maybe, or maybe that was his first year. And of course, growing up, same thing. We saw, you know, late nineties, you're talking like that's when Pat played. And then you started getting into like 99 when they went to the finals, you had Matt playing, you had, um, like Jason Guerin, you had um, 
Kevin, Opie, uh, I mean, John Trombley. You had all these guys, and that was like a big wave. And then it rode into like Josh Fredericks, um, mm-hmm. Ian Lauren, Corey Lewis, Justin Seymour. And then it finally went down into like kind of my group, which was like Nolan, Spiegels, um, Casey Trombley. You know, we had like, you know, Sean Martin. We had some really good players. Um, Kyle LaFountain, um, who actually came on uh, a couple months ago. It was good seeing Kyle again. And the the transition through that whole period was the same thing. When we came in and we started, like, we were five starting. Now they start at age three, which is insane. And when we were playing through, that was one of the – I remember the first time I played indoor soccer, I think Christine Lauren was our coach, and we went down and played at the base. And that was the first time, like, indoor soccer was around. Well, at least we had ever played, and we were – fifth sixth graders again now they play at you probably have four five six year old kids playing indoor soccer and then we ended up going and i remember playing one year with tim um tim ryan was the coach and we did very well you know we had a good group of kids and then we ended up going into we didn't start playing travel soccer until i think high school where again they have travel soccer at like seven eight nine yeah and in the club soccer and indoor and they play all year long so but one of the things that we, again, we did was, and I think Rob's done very well, is if you look at the system all the way down to the mites or mini mites, how many of those people were ex shazy players? Most of them now have played for Rob in some capacity. And I think what he's done is he's done a great job about getting people from within the system that know the system and more more importantly, I believe, know the tradition and the culture of Shazy soccer, which I believe that he, you know, Coach Brenler, Tregan, and, and um, you know, McAuliffe have basically ingrained throughout the whole, all the way down the funnel down to the little kids. And you see, again, you know, when I, was, I coached JV for a while, I was doing the same thing Rob taught me. And I was just like, I'm just going to keep doing the same stuff and do the best I can. So when they go up to him, the learning curve is less. So then Rob can really teach the more advanced, like uh, whatever you want to call it, the AP lit or the AP calc or, or, you know, whatever soccer, you know, AP soccer, whatever you want to do. Like he's doing it where we're teaching all like we're teaching them strategy. But when we're getting kids on JV, they all the basic stuff they learned as kids, like they know how to pass, they know how to juggle the ball, they know how to shoot, they know how to turn, they know how to do all these things. Now you're trying to kind of add more maybe the mental or the strategical part once you get up to our level versus the physical, the physicalness the kids have. They've been they've had a soccer ball on their foot since they could, you know, since they could stand. But that's that's been the biggest transition, I think. It's just it's year round. And now after what, um, twenty five years or so of coaching you really have a good structure from the young all the way up to absolutely high school. It's uh, you know, and then when we first started going to the final four, it was enough just to go there. Mm-hmm. I, I really believe you have to learn how to win at the final four. The first, your first couple appearances, you're thrilled to be there. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm, I'm saying any program. Mm-hmm. And then you, you're like, okay, we got there a couple of times. That was cool. Now we want to win it. And, it's a little different preparation and mindset. You're no longer in awe of being there. You're like, let's bring home the hardware. Yeah. Well, that was, again, the first year they won was 04. And I remember being in the stands at the time. The following year, I had gotten moved up from JV. And we won the state championship for a second year in a row. And that was my first year. And then from then on, I went to every Final Four up until last year's Final Four. And that was the first time I'd missed a Final Four since 2004, and either as a player or a coach. 
and same thing you the whole mindset was different i remember going as in 05 in 07 and you went expecting to win knowing i mean obviously knowing you had to play you right know, you play your tail off but you went expecting like we're the best team we're going to win this. this is basically ours to take not going in saying oh wow look at all the other schools that were here even being it was weird i remember going up even as a sophomore knowing i was not even going to play like i was going to like i was lucky enough to just go warm up on the field and cheer on this on the sidelines but even as a sophomore you went up not really starstruck you went up like this is kind of cool but you kind of it went from the top down. The seniors at the time expected to win. The juniors expected to win, you know, the sophomores. So by the time you were up there, like it was just set, the precedence was set. And of course, you know, McAuliffe was, had you in the idea that you were going to win. Like you, right. you weren't, you weren't just showing up. Like that was just the same thing. Like we're going, like we're going down. It's going to be tough. It's not gonna be, nobody's going to hand it to you, but you know, you got to show up and you got to perform, but you also, you got to walk around. Like I remember, I remember him as telling us, and I, we, I mean, from the time I got in as a player to the time I left as a coach, every team did this. It's like you walk in there like you're the state champions, no matter what. Like no matter how good or bad we might be, you're always going to walk in, you know, with the with the confidence that you're you're the best team there. And that there's an intimidation factor to that because I think the one thing that we've always had going down is one you have the track record, but two, our kids are very well well behaved when they go down. Some of these kids, you go down and you see them at like the banquet or you see them like at the start of games or on the sidelines. They're like, there's not a lot of structure to them. Some there are, but I always find that we go down and it's just very much like you're going down, taking care of a job. You'll have fun after you win kind of deal. Um, so I think that the prep work and just the way they carry themselves at the final four is different than a lot of teams. And it's, who's this? I, I think it does play a part though. I think that a lot of teams might start off a little slow. You know, we've have have scored some goals early on in games that have put us ahead. I think that has to do with them coming out a little scared, other teams yeah. where our kids come out and ready to pounce from minute one. Not to mention by the time you're a senior you've had this is not your first rodeo. I, I think it all I mean it starts with the coaching, but it starts so much of it is senior leadership. You don't mm-hmm. want to disappoint the seniors. And by the time you're a senior, as you know, you realize this is every game in the sectionals could be the last game you ever play for Shay Z. So you would literally run through a wall if you have to, to get the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, and then the juniors see that and the freshmen and the sophomores, and they're like, we don't want to disappoint these seniors. So people just, it comes together. And I'm not saying other schools don't work hard, but I've also remember, and you've seen this, there were some teams that would get off the bus at Shay Z and we knew they had them beat as soon as they got off the bus. Cause they were just looking forward to getting something to eat on the ride home. Mm-hmm. I mean, back then that we still had a food court in the mall, and they would be excited to go to the food court after. And like, they're not going to give us a game. Mm-hmm. They know they're going to lose. They just want Taco Bell. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too. Like going all the way up, playing. You knew for the most the better teams, the better teams that played you, you were getting their best game of the year because they had to play up at your level up for that game. So really, when you're playing, if you're a good a good team that's playing. You should be, in theory, I mean, yes, you're going to have the teams that are just right. don't care, but there's a lot of teams that will show up, and that is going to be their biggest game of the year is against you, especially when we had the new field built, the Brendler Field. Like, you're playing at 6 o'clock at night under the lights. It's very different than going down and playing in Scroon Lake at 4.30 right after school and kids are going onto the bus. Like, it's a different atmosphere. Um, so I find, especially the kids from E-Town, kids from Westport, kids from Willsboro, when they had really good teams, those were those were more difficult games because they got up for those games. That was a big deal for them to come play a night game where we, again, you know, it's common. Like you, every game you play is going to be 
a night game, but um, I, th- I think that that also raised the level of the kids playing because, again, you, there was no cakewalk on most of the games because you were getting literally the best game that team could play all year long. So we always had to, you always had to play up, and that's the one thing I always I always hate is when people there's so many people that I, I think they have the mindset of like, well, I want Chasey to lose. I just don't, you know, they always win, blah, blah. They always win. And my argument against that is like, I've seen it from the inside. Like it's not, you don't just show up and it's just like, okay, the same team's going to win. Like it takes a lot of effort, a lot of time. And I think for anybody to say for someone like that, that puts as much, like nobody puts more time in than the kids and the coaches at Chasey. And they, that's the reason why they win. So to say that you'd rather have a team that doesn't put in that much effort to beat them doesn't make sense to me. It's like if you're if somebody truly worked as not to say that kids don't work hard other other places, but I'd be very hard pressed to find another team slash coaching staff slash community that cares more and works harder from mid August to mid November than Jay Z. And there's a reason like that that shows in the titles. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's always heartbreaking any year that we're not state champions that you see the seniors walk off the field for both the boys and the girls mm-hmm. and absolutely devastated. I mean, some people can, can walk off and like, well, it was just high school soccer, but at Shay Z, they're like, it's, it's over. And it, you know, it, it, it's an emotional thing because they literally put their heart and soul into this program and wanted to be on that program since, since they were five, like, Galen Trombley's on that team. I want to be like him. I, I mean, think, I think they're saying more Nolan Ryan's. Yeah, on the I don't team, but think that's... <laughs> anybody wanted to be like Galen Trombley. No, no. I mean, Joey I, Trombley, maybe. I, I wasn't a household name back on the team, but uh, uh, I, I wasn't a household name. But Mr. O'Connor, the superintendent, knew my name quite well, so I, I had that. You were going. with the right people, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rob McAuliffe lets the the good students have lunch with him. Back in my day, when I had lunch with Mr. O'Connor, it's because I had done something bad. He wasn't rolling out the red carpet for you? No, there, there was no pizza and balloons. <laughs> He's like, what have you done this time? Do I have to call your mother? Joe, just grab your seat in the corner. Just pull it out. Yeah, he's like, you know, you get a white slip, you go in the morning. And I would tell him the truth. He's like, don't lie to me. So I would make up the most ridiculous lie. Card. He's like, you know, I appreciate your honesty. You can go. Maybe it was creative thinking. Yeah. He could have been a good writer. Maybe that was it. He, yeah, he respected like, the effort. Yeah, like, oh, Mr. O'Connor, I know I've lied to you before, but I'm not this time. <laughs> I I was going to say, I've, I've, I was called down, like, not, not, not too often. So I don't really have any good stories. But every once in a while, like, maybe once every couple of years, you got in. The problem was I was never, uh, I don't know. Why did you get called down more? Was it just? Just because I, I was bored with school, so I caused a lot of problems in the classes. Yeah. Miss. Mrs. Mooney was constantly throwing me out. Uh, introduction to occupations. We had uh, Mrs. Fortrell. And was that was that like home ec kind of? It was kind of because part of it was home ec and, you know, trying to figure out what you wanted to do for your career, which, you know, when you're 15, that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because nobody knows what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I got thrown out of that class quite a bit. And, or Mrs. Mooney would always say, you have to stay eighth period for me. But the thing is, when Coach was there, I pl- literally played indoor soccer or floor hockey every eighth period. He would start a list. It would be Coach. He would he would write me, Judy, Joe. And then he's like, I need three other players because he knew I. So I would be in there, and the announcement would come over, Joe Colomb, if you're in the, uh, 
you're in the building, please report to the office right away. And coach would look at me and shake his head, and we'd have to stop the game. He'd go in the office, he'd call down. He's like, uh, Joe Colomb's in gym right now. He's making up a gym class. I missed two days of school that year and made up 30 gym classes. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's, uh, yeah, Judy Bashard and, yeah, and Coach Brown. Yeah. And Co- Coach Brown, that was, uh, uh, you know, could you just could you just try and not give her such a hard time? I'm like, Coach, I'm trying, but she's baiting me. The uh, So... <laughs> I should have asked him about you on on, on his podcast. He, he was he was great, like I told you. Um, but he so he was when did he retire? Because he they was, retired eighty nine. Okay, so when he stopped coaching, those retired. So yep. he was he was gone before me. I had Judy, and we played floor hockey with her. I th- so I think she just kind of carried that on all the way. So through. So you know, she was a very dirty player. Would she uh, hit knuckles? No, it. She, being a man, you know, there's a place she can put the stick that slows you down. <laughs> there, yeah, we we. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, we always had, I'm trying to think we had her, we had, um, from a gym, I think from just gym teachers, she would do that on eighth period, yep. but we always had a bunch of kids, like a lot of the hockey kids would play and I wasn't a hockey player by, by any means. Like I could, but floor hockey was always fun. I played it as a kid. We actually used to play it at the bus garage in Jay Z, like every Saturday morning, like clockwork from probably March till God, probably through the summer we played, uh, floor, uh, street hockey, not floor hockey, street hockey. That's great. And that like that was one where we played every Saturday. Probably, I would I would argue probably nine to twelve every Saturday morning. You'd play about an hour and a half. Mark would come up, Henry at the time. We'd all pile in the back of the truck, drive us down the Chazy or the Stewarts in mm-hmm. Chazy, which is a quarter of a mile, half a mile down the yep. road. Um, usually got soda. Candy, hot dogs, like all, all the junk you probably shouldn't eat, but, but between a ha- or a intermission of street hockey, then we go back, play like another hour. Parents would come pick you up, go home, do the rest of the stuff. Um, so, but that was again, that was still the same crew that we used to play a bunch of stuff with. So, like the street hockey, even though we played a little bit, that was always God. That was we were probably like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Like that was like the the age we probably stopped a little bit once we we got to like junior high or high school maybe, but. We played that a lot, and that was before, obviously, a lot of, you know, I don't think kids get out and play all those, like, activities or no, sports I, that they should, but. I, I, it makes me kind of sad that, you know, and I'm, believe me, you've seen me with my phone. I'm addicted to it as well, but I, I wasn't at that age. You had to get out if you wanted to have fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, and, you know, growing up in Tracy, my best friend was based solely on geography. Yeah. How far am I allowed to ride my bike? Yeah. I like this kid, but I can't, but he lives on the other side of the corner and I can't go past that intersection. So he's out. So. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, um, I saw this funny thing the other day online. It was, um, it was one, there's probably like 20, 25 references and I got majority of them. So this was, I think, geared for kids in the eighties and it was, I would say a mixture of eighties and nineties. And there was a lot of funny ones. And one of the ones was like, it showed like four or five kids like up at the front door and it'll be like, that's how you got, that's how you knew that there was something to go play. Cause like kids would show up at your front door, like, and like, Hey, is Johnny there? And then like, yeah, okay, Johnny. And he'd run out and play with you. And, yep. um, that was kind of what it was back then. And one of my best friends, he like the running joke would, would be, he would like, he, he like woke up early on a Saturday. He'd be up at like seven. There was no cell phones. He would call the home phone. Hey, is Galen coming to street hockey? Is Galen coming to street hockey? Then we call someone else. And then it would be like. 20 minutes later, he'd call again. It was Gillen, and like, he's still sleeping. Like, yes, he's going. And it got to the point where you had to like tell your mom and dad like the night before, 
hey, Mike calls tomorrow, I'm going. Sure enough, you would call like seven, eight, nine, and then it got to the point they're trying to sleep in, the phone's ringing, you know it's him calling. Yeah. But this was, this, this is just funny to look back on, but this was, God, probably 2000. Um, the other thing, though, I find is when you get, um, and I found this in soccer when we were getting out, I found that, and again, I this could be what you had just said before, maybe me looking back and assuming we, we were smarter than we were or com- comparing, but I find that the kids when we played were they understood the game very well from a perspective of they, they understood uh, the strategy. They understood a lot of the nuances of the game that I think kids nowadays take longer to develop because they don't spend, I mean, the amount of stuff you learn playing soccer where you're at a barbecue or you're at a friend's house at night and you throw shoes down in the backyard and you play three V three soccer barefoot with, you know, Two, two kids throw shoes down and that's your goalpost. Like mm-hmm. you learn a lot about spacing. You learn a lot about sh- uh, uh, shielding the ball. You have two, three guys on a team. Like you got to shield the ball from a defender and one guy's got to move to get open because you only have three players or two or four. And it makes like you learn a lot of things that you can carry on to a bigger field. Kids don't do that anymore. Like I, I guarantee you I won't like drive by you know, the hat or go to the happy bike and see a bunch of kids playing soccer. Like they had the, the volleyball, the volleyball court. If you ever look, it's the same kids that I grew up with playing that. And you don't look at kids that are, you know, rolling the soccer ball out and playing little pickup soccer ball or soccer games. So I find that that's the one thing I missed that I think that kids today would be so much better from a, um, a mental standpoint of understanding the game. If they took the time to play those little mini, like, um, very, uh, spur of the moment, uh, games. I mean, like I said, barbecues. I remember playing, you'd go to like Plattsburgh, like the mayor's cup and go to a friend's house and you were playing in their backyard, you know, and all these fun. I just think that's where the game was for a lot of kids was learned, you know? And, um, unfortunately I think some kids don't have that right now is because they, you know, they play soccer and they have practice and mm-hmm. they go home and do whatever, but they're not doing all the other things outside of practice or on the weekends or, you know, becoming more, and you're starting to see kids specialize more in a sport. Yeah, which makes me sad. Versus well-rounded. Right. I mean, they need to learn how to lose, which is why we have Shazy basketball. With apologies to the coaching staff. <laughs> I mean, but let, let's be honest. We, we've had some very good basketball teams through the years, but there's always been someone a little better, with the exception of Corey Lewis, when he's like, we're not going to lose this year. And I played with Corey... His senior year, my junior year, we won sectionals that year. Yeah, he was shot away against from taking us to the final four. I mm-hmm. mean, Corey was an absolute truck. I mean... One of the best athletes I've ever played with, at, by at far. The, at the regional soccer game at Seton, it was Lisbon, right? I think. He was, he was playing somewhere in the midfield, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Because wherever the ball was, that's where he was. Yeah. And he never got tired. It was one of the most impressive displays I've ever seen. Yeah, he was athletic. He was, yeah. Um, and I, 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 I run into him from time to time, and I think he's, I haven't seen him in, a, in a, probably a little over a year, year and a half, but I know he went, was trying to play basketball, and he, he was a very smart player too. And that, he was one kid that really knew a lot of sports. He knew soccer, he knew basketball. Um, he didn't play baseball when I was around, but he, he was a natural athlete. You give, uh, yeah, I'm give sure. him a tennis racket, he would excel yeah, in that, you know? It, absolutely. Did, did he win a national championship as a goalie in, in soccer? 
Someone's, I think, yeah, didn't he for Cobleskill or yeah, something? Yeah, which, which is remarkable. He's like, I forgot I'm about gonna, that. Yeah. Now I'm going to be the goalie and I'm going to be a national champion. Like, yeah, stop showing off. I know. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, no, he, he was impressive. And the year we played basketball, it was funny. So last weekend, I went to uh, the field house and was watching the Class B finals. And it was the first basketball game I've seen in a couple of years. And it was cool to come back and watch it. And then I remember, like, we had played for the, the sectional finals. And I remember going, did you go to that game, the sectional finals? At the field house, we were at the oh, class six seven. Oh yeah, so yeah, so that was the year. Uh, was Rob Guerin coached? Great coach. Yeah, yeah, phenomenal. We went and that was one of the most fun seasons out of all the sports seasons I played. Obviously, soccer like yeah. soccer is like top, but like that basketball season, I remember showing up in early November because that was the year we got upset in sectional the sectional finals. And I remember we showed up like the following week, and nobody wanted to be there because obviously you you know we at arguably had the best soccer team in the state that year. Um, and I remember we're all sitting there and, you know, you're depressed. You're like, this is the last place I want to be in, you know, on November 7th or whatever it was. And it sucked. You started playing basketball and it was like, basketball is a weird sport because it's a long season and you get going and you go from outdoor to now you're indoor. It's smaller. It's getting dark out. It's cold. Like you just don't really want to play basketball. And you're running drill after drill after drill. And it's not just like free shooting and just pick up basketball. You're actually running drills. And, of course, when Rob came, Rob Guerin, he came in and was like, nope, we're going to just like, you're, you're doing it my way. And it's as structured as you can get. And the one thing that he excelled at was if you did something wrong, it wasn't like, well, that's all right, good effort or try it. You know, that's fine. And be like, nope, we're doing it all over again. And I remember he had one drill called perfection. And it was one of those drills that <clears throat> you were just doing layups, but you were doing different versions of how to get to a layup, meaning you're doing like three-man weaves or you're doing like fast breaks or you're doing just finger rolls, but it was always just finishing at the basket. And as a team, you had to make a certain amount of each in five minutes. And the only reason, the only way you were going to get five minutes was you had to be near, near perfect, meaning you probably had to make 90% of your shots plus. And it was definitely doable. It was definitely doable. And I remember one time... We were doing this, and it wasn't really get good at basketball or get good at conditioning. It was get good at not doing things bad, meaning like the expectation level was high, and if you did not make your goal in five minutes, you just reran the drill. And you, if you didn't make it in the next five, you would rerun the drill. So you got more tired, so it got more hard, more difficult. And in theory, you should have been able to do it in the first five minutes, go get a drink, and you've been perfectly fine. And I remember one time we we might have done it five or six times in a row. So you're talking 30 minutes of just nonstop passing, dribbling, shooting. And we played back then six days a week practice and seven days, which was Sunday was uh, not mandatory, mandatory yeah. open gym where you don't have to show up, but basically if you don't show up, you're the only guy that doesn't show up. So everybody showed up seven days a week to play basketball. And I remember one time we were playing perfection. We missed it by one point, like one basket, like mm -hmm. one finger roll, whatever. And we're like, whatever maybe the kid made the basket like right at when like buzzer mm -hmm. threw it up ball went in so we're like man this is like our fourth time through we're done and rob's like all right line back up do it again and we're like are you kidding me and it's like no he didn't make it and that was how it was like black or white did you make it or not right and it was just it, the one thing that was good about it was just the you went in with the mindset of you were going to do stuff to perfection it wasn't necessarily perfection but you, you weren't going to let bad right. bad movements bad habits slide you were going to do all the little things and by the end of the year i remember right before um 
we did uh we were in sectionals this is by far the best cardiovascular i've ever been soccer included i was i could i could run for days probably run january february march of that year than i ever have in any sporting uh season i remember we played pickup basketball one time and that was a practice he had us just scrimmage for two hours um this is right before sectionals and nobody was tired we could have played for 10 hours like just everybody's like we could just run for days and we could shoot the lights out and it was just one of those weird like i just remember one day we were just in the zone like Kids were just shooting from anywhere and making them. And we could, but it was, at that point, it had been three months of just pretty much seven days a week, almost every single day, playing two hours of basketball as a team with a very good structure. And we got really good. So when we won the sectionals that year, and you were right, we, were, we lost the regional finals by a point. And I remember the next day, we lost to Chattagay. Chattagay beat the team by like 20-something points and then beat the state semifinalists by like 20 something points and i think they lost in the finals but we were basically a point away from potentially going to the finals yeah that was uh and you, you remember Corey lewis just took over that game and yeah carried them but that was the great uh carolina coach roy williams says if they can't do it in practice they won't be able to do it in the game mm-hmm. and that's what they forget about like shazy soccer or, or any great program is to get good at something you you're not lucky you've worked at it you really have to put the effort in athletic ability is great but there's a lot of great athletes that'll lose their starting spot to someone that'll outwork them mm-hmm. because they put the hours in and are willing to do what they won't well that's yeah and i i think the uh like you said before like practices were harder than games i mean the only time games really got hard like i'd say truly got hard was a couple maybe one or two games a season were hard and then maybe you know when you obviously got into the playoffs right. like when you got down to the final four like those games were tough those those weren't easy games but when you're playing every single day against like when the other team playing you is the best team you're going to face in the league like you, you pretty much could take two teams off of our team be one two in the league most years like you you were good you're basically playing against the best every single day and they were, you were lucky to be on your team so when you're going like when you're trying to you know you got nolan and stetson going at each other well, you're not going to see that in a, in a league game. They're going to be on the same team going against kids right. that aren't even close to being as good, and you're just going to mop the mop the floor with them. So that was always one where we benefited because your teammates were your best competition for majority of the year until you all until you really had to combine forces basically to pay, play the you know the Polands and the Hamiltons and the you know Jasper Tootsbergs and all those right. teams, you know, and then. But it was fun. I mean, it's it's just good. I just like the I like the aspect of just being, and that's one of the things I've carried with me now as I've gotten older is trying to get improve at every aspect of what you do. And I just I take that a lot from high school sports, soccer, basketball, like, and some good coaches. Obviously, Rob and Rob, Rob Garen, Rob McCall for two two guys that had big impacts on me because they just didn't accept me mediocrity. It was like you no, like if you're gonna earn it, you got to earn it. You got to work for it. You got to be you got to be good. You, can't, you know, I'm not just gonna give you a, a slide because you guys are, you know, you had a hard game yesterday, so we're going to take it easy today and not try as hard because we're playing, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. And I, I always remember McAuliffe saying, he goes, you show respect to a team by kicking their ass, basically. Like you show up to, <laughs> like you show up to a crown point who back when we played wasn't good, but if you show up to crown point and beat them three, nothing, you didn't take the game serious because you should beat them by 12 goals. So if when we show up and we just mop them by 12 goals, which some people will say, well, why'd you run up the score? I'm like, well, at the end of the day, I, I look at it too. Like you show up to a game on a Tuesday night in Crown Point that that you know you're going to win. 
you drive down and you could just go through the motions, score two, three, four goals and get on the bus and come home. But when you go down, you're up eight, nothing at halftime. Like you went out and you played your game, not, not, not Matt going to the point where you weren't going to play down to your competition. You were going to play our right. game. And that, even though it might seem insignificant that it was a September 18th game, you know, in crown point, uh, you know, on like on a Tuesday night and it meant in the league, nothing, we had wrapped up the league or whatever. You still went and it was the, it was the habit of going to a game and putting forth the effort you were going to put forth in the state championship game two months later when everything mattered. And I think that that mindset carried a lot of weight because, you know, the kids that play, they don't go to a game expecting just to go to a game like they're going to every single game like they're playing the state championship and they're going to treat the team like they're playing in the state championship game and that's one thing i always i always really liked about our teams is they just very rarely do teams take a day off like right if you're going to a league game you're going to smash that team because you're right you came to play no matter who you were playing the, the one thing i always tell people if it's a blowout check the box score i mean especially in like basketball mm-hmm. when you see a team that gets beat by 60 in high school and the other team only had six people scoring. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they just poured it on. Yeah. Whereas in, in Shay-Z, you know, Rob's really good at getting everyone in in those games. But, I mean, it's not anyone's fault that the second string guy scored. Yeah. That's his job. Yeah. I mean, he's trying to take your job by scoring. And that, that's that's always the thing that, that's also what I don't get. Like, I, I get it. You don't leave, you know, it's to the point where you can't take the starters out 20 minutes in the game because you're up four nothing because to me that's unfair to the starters who you know they, they've practiced all week and at the end of the day you know you're going to rely on them in later games so to have them play 20 minutes of an 80 minute game and they play a quarter of a game you they still have to get in and get reps and get in condition and stuff like that so you need them to play i don't like you said i don't agree with um having your starters play the entire game right but Depending on the circumstance, but then when you put in the second string, I also don't believe in telling your second string not to score. No, like, that's, it's not fair to them. No, if you if you're going in and you're playing, you score. We're just gonna take we're gonna take the Nolan off the field and we're gonna put the the Galen up at forward, which happened because Rob knew I couldn't score. I think so. He'd put you take me from the back and put me up, knowing that at least this kid's not gonna put it in the net. Uh, we, so at least we're good. We had a lot of laughs about that at Mickey's. My God. You know, and Joey would come over, try and buy us a couple of rounds, and say, "Could you please take it easy on my son?" And but you I, know, I was I was much better in the I'm playing defense. I wasn't a scorer. But you know, you know how Joey is. I mean, he's a stratomatic guy, so you can't trust those guys anyways. You can only trust good, honest Atma the, baseball players. The, the uh, yeah. Do you ever play that? Have you ever played that game? Atba? The stratomat- no, the stratomatic. No, I'm, him and I have arguments all the time. Cause oh, I, do you? Because I'm an Atma guy. Is it the same same thing? Pretty much, based on the stats, and mm-hmm. you can use dice. I play on the computer because it keeps all the stats. Yeah. I mean, I like keeping the stats, but if you're going to play a 162-game season with one or two teams, it, it's a lot of work to write out the lineups and everything. Yeah. Whereas so, your dad is old-school paper, pencil. and. So when I was a kid, I played that with him. And I say, well, we, we would play together like when I was little. And I remember sitting down like, and again, this before cell phones when you had to entertain yourself. Like I remember sitting down at my parents' camp and seven, eight, nine o'clock at night, you'd sit down on the on the kitchen table and you'd lay lay out all the boards. You'd have all the players. Of course, I had the expos and I knew all. I had the uh, sporting news mm-hmm. and every week the sporting news would come out. I would go down through and I would check the transactions and then I got to the point where I was checking the uh, uh, Press Republican every day. What was the transactions? 
who got who's injured, who's on the who's on the uh, injured reserve or the DL, who got pulled up if they had them. Sometimes you couldn't get the AAA guys, but if there was a big trade, especially around the trade deadline time, you I would take the guys and you'd mix match all the teams and. That was like even today I would have a blast. Like I wish I could lay it out now and play the game. I mean, time wise, I don't have the time to do it right now. But when I get older, I'm hoping that's something I pick back up because I really enjoy that. Whether it be the computer, whether it just be rolling dice, but it's just I don't know why. But it's just it's a fun, it, it's a it fun is. way it's to a, play. It's I don't know. I I'm addicted to baseball, whether it's fantasy or at but it just I don't know. I I get up at like three four in the morning, so I think that gives me an advantage in my fantasy league. Because I'll, I'll get the waiver wire before anyone, and yet every year I finish dead last, and it really, it, I'm like, I had a great draft. You had to hire a new GM. Then I'm like, I'd be better off not showing up for the draft. Do the auto draft? Yeah, that's fra- I'm in a 16-team league, and that's really frowned upon. I'm like, but I'm like, it's a 16-team league. After the 10th round, I don't even know these guys. I just want to drink and let the computer do a better job. So when you do the draft, you guys all get together for it? No, we do it at separate houses. Everyone's oh, on, I'll be on the laptop drafting. I'll be on my phone Googling, you know, f- Google, give me the 57th best outfielder in Major League Baseball. I'm like, guess I got to pick him. <laughs> Milwaukee Brewer. All right, let's yeah, go. Yeah. Colorado Rocky. Um, so, uh, yeah, but the th- those baseball Board games are always fun. Now, do you play the full season? Like, will you take the Nationals and play like a series? I, I, I no, I'll play the full season. But you, do you do it? Do you do it per day? Like, if if, the, if the, like the Nationals were playing tonight against the Mets, would you play just that one game? No, I'll I'll maybe play like once a week and play you know anywhere from three to ten. You 50, play the week pretty much. Yeah, I'll just like you know I'll play till I get bored, or I'll play because I am bored and. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just for for me. I'm all about stealing bases because that's how baseball was when I was a kid. Yeah, I'm like, you know, you you tried to steal second and third. And so so when you when you play, but you take like the Nats and you'll play the actual season that versus yeah. the teams are playing. Yeah, and that's I think that'd be fun. And um, now the league that you play when it's on the computer, does it? Can you put in that the other teams like if you're actually going to play that game, can you just put like auto and then it, it ruffles the the lineup? Right. The, there's a uh, Every team in the league for me has um, computer managers except mine. Gotcha. They they take yeah because I mean, obviously I'd be tempted to oh I need to win this game I got to tinker with their lineup. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the controls the rotation the computer controls the rotation keeps all the stats which which is great because I mean when when you're what thirty teams trying to keep league leading stats it's that's a lot of work. Yeah. That's that's cool. I, and then, yeah, I've never seen heard the one you've talked about, but that was always a that was always a fun game. We also got basketball one year too, and I played it. The basketball one was okay. Like I play, it wasn't baseball though, right? Because baseball is a stat game. Like you can play all these other sports. Like there's stats in basketball and football and everything else, but baseball is a, to me the one true stat game where they literally as you come up to you know they the pitcher walks in, they give you all your stats. The batter comes right. up, and you literally have a. You have, I mean, yes, I know basketball, you have a free throw percentage and things like that, but I don't think the stats are as well as baseball because baseball is a very start-stop game. So basketball, you're running up and down the court. I know you have steals and things like that, but it's, and it's a little more crazy with like where they take shots on the court, but it's more, di- it's easier to say that was a base hit. That was a double. Like that was a 6-3, you know, ground out. Like that's the kind of stuff that I like, like learning about. And the other thing I learned is I kept the scorebook a lot. 
in high school baseball because I played stratomatic baseball as a kid and mm-hmm. I knew how to keep books, which is funny because that's, that's a skill in itself is how to keep a book. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people today know how to score a game because they're playing it on the Xbox or something. You don't, you don't have to score it. Did you score when you went up to Montreal? No, I, I never I never did. I wish I would have scored some games because yeah. I was up there for Gary Carter's last home game. That's cool. He hit a pinch hit double over Andre Dawson's head. And I'm telling you. He was on the Mets at the time. Uh, no, he was he was back with the Expos. This is going to be his last home game as an Expo. Then who was Andre Dawson playing for? The Cubs. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, okay. And he hit a, they grooved him a pitch. He hit it over Dawson's head. Dawson makes that catch 99 times out of 100. I think it was a gift to his old teammate. And, you know, last at bat, he, you know, they brought in a pinch runner because Gary Carter had no knees left at that point. And it's the only time I ever saw a man have to take a curtain call for hitting a double. The place went absolutely nuts. They loved the kid up there. And now he went in as an expo, right? Yeah, he, yeah, he went in as an expo. Then he is he. How many expos are there? Was he the only one um, that went in as an expo? Because Vladdy went in as an angel, which kind of Tim, broke my Tim, heart. But I think Tim Range is in as an expo. Is he? Yeah, yeah, Vladdy. I. What was your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I, I get it. He won like the AL MVP. He's. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but to me, he's an expo. Yeah, I'm the same. But, I mean, I don't know. Then again, when you go in, when you go in as a franchise that no longer exists, you don't get the big party. Whereas, yeah, Anaheim threw him a big party in Cooperstown and stuff. And I mean, what are the Expos going to do? I know. Give, give him some poutine, which would be awesome if it was me. Get from the Barbie barn. Um, yeah. The uh, yeah. So that that was one that. But I get why he did it because I think I think he actually ended up playing. One more season or one less season at the Angels as the Expo. So he played a while there. So it wasn't like yeah. he just went for a couple seasons. And he won, the, obviously, he won the, uh, he didn't win the World Series, though. No. Just won the AL MVP, what, 04? Yeah. And uh, Randy Johnson, although Randy Johnson couldn't hit the broadside <laughs> of a barn when he was with the Expos, he had some serious control issues. But, and it, that was a very good trade. They traded Randy Johnson for Mark Langston to the, uh, oh, yeah. Because that's when they were battling Pittsburgh. And they, it was one of the few years the Expos said, you know, let's try to win it all. So they brought in Langston as their ace down the stretch. It didn't work out. But I, I was at least happy that they were trying to win it as opposed to most years like, oh, we don't want to spend the money. They're like, mm-hmm. well, let, let's see if we can win this. Because um, when Tim or um, Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling, the, the, like the two or three years they were together on the Diamondbacks, I mean that those two back to back never lost a game. I mean I think the Cy Young was those two going back head to head. And I remember the one the one year I watched Kurt Schilling pitch up in Montreal was the year that I think he had more wins than walks on the season. It was some stupid stat that like I don't think had ever been done. And I remember the game ended four three. Vladdy had a bottom of the ninth or bottom of the tenth um, pulled a line drive over the left field fence. It just missed the pole, like with the pole, the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the cloth up right there. 4-3, they, they beat him that day. And that was that was one of the coolest games I ever went to. It was a walk-off home run. And at the time, Arizona, this might have been the year they went to the World Series. Um, or won the World Series, right? Oh one. Yeah. With Luis Gonzalez, the little chopper down yep. the middle. So that, so that might have been the year that he, they pulled that off. And that was that was one of the coolest Expos games I'd ever been to. Um, and I went to the last game in Montreal in um, 04 against um, the Marlins. The best, 
I mean, Gary Carter's last home game was awesome, but the best thing I think I ever saw was Marquise Grissom tie ball game in the ninth playing the Reds back in the day when they had the Nasty Boys and Rob Dibble's on the mound, and he was a great closer back then. Well, Grissom gets a single. So they're trying to hold him on first, trying to hold him on first, trying to hold him on first. Grissom steals second. So now tie ball game, we got a guy on second. Well, Dibble's trying to hold him on second, trying to hold him second, throws it away. Grissom goes to third. Now tie ball game, Grissom's on third. Next pitch, Dibble throws home. Grissom breaks for home. High steps over Joe Oliver's tag to steal home plate to win the game. Wow. It, it was just, I mean, nobody steals home plate anymore. It was no. Just, it, was, wow. it was one of those things that, you know, we, it was me, Todd, and Dave. And of course, we went to the Frontier after, and we were so pumped. And nobody else gave a crap. We're like, he stole home plate to win the game? How do you not get this? Women are like, get away from me, loser. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've never seen him. That's, yeah. Listen, there's a couple of things. Like, I went up to quite a bit of baseball games. I've never seen anybody steal home. I'm trying to think. I mean, I've seen a grand slam. Obviously, I've never seen a no-hitter a perfect game. Have you ever seen one? No, no. I never saw that. I was, I saw Vladdy driving five against the Brewers one night with two home runs. And, I, and after, the, after the first one, he was on fire. I'm like, stop pitching to him. I, I, I mean, at the time, the Expos didn't have really anything to protect him. I'm like, just throw him strikes. You can't hit strikes. Yeah, it will... I remember watching Vlad hit for the cycle one year or one day, one game. Um, I think, and I might be wrong. Remember Orlando Cabrera? Yep, the shortstop. He hit for the cycle one day, which was great because he was he. Was, I always liked him, but he was he was one of those players that, he, you know, if you had to put like big names on the roster, he was definitely like middle tier. Like you had, right. you had your top guys, he was like maybe just below Vladdy, like Jose Vidro, um, Rondell White. Of course, this was like late 90s, early right. 2000s. And that was kind of like your marquee, like front of the program players. And then Orlando Cabrera was always like next, but he was a starter, you know, probably batted first, second, or maybe sixth in the lineup, depending on where he fell. Um, and then also I remember watching a, well, a couple games where Vladdy, either on a line or a one-hop, threw a guy out from the right field going to third. Yeah, his, his arm was incredible. The only arm I've ever seen better was Timmy Martin in the outfield. We... uh my junior year, I don't even remember who we were playing. The late, great Gary Finney was our coach. And the ball's hit to Timmy Martin. Timmy Martin missed a cutoff man. And he threw it over the backstop. And get, we get in the locker room, and Gary is ballistic. He's like, you know, back in my day, you know what we do to kids like you? We'd kick your ass. I think, he, you know, he's trying to basically tell us to straighten him up. But we all knew Timmy Martin was crazy and took yeah. karate. So we're like, coach, it's all you. <laughs> We're not messing with him. The um, I, the the Tim the the amount of Tim Martin stories that I've heard from multiple people independently make me scared of the guy. Even though he's a great he's a great guy. One and of the, it, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. I love him, but yeah, I'm afraid of him. Yeah, he's just he's one of those I've heard. Well, the the one the, the I've only like met Tim a few times. Like I mean, I know who he is, and you know we've talked a few times, but. When we were playing in the alumni game, I was coaching at the time, uh, JV, so I'm, I'm guessing maybe 2011, 12, something like that. I remember playing defense. Somebody crossed the ball going down towards the cornfield side. And again, you're playing an alumni soccer game. I mean, you have anywhere from a 20-year-old up to probably somewhere in their 50s. I think I, think I was... Uh, 
Blair Villamere was on the other team, and I think he pulled me down a couple times. Didn't get a card for it. I think I think John Sachs is being a little lenient in the game, but that's for another time. We'll debate that another time. Well, the- <laughs> before the game started, I might or may not have made it known to Mr. Sachs that if he wanted free beer at the Weathercock, <laughs> he wished to look the other way at anything I did. The, so, so of course, of course, the alumni game is perfect. Yeah. You have jo- Johnny Sachs doing the refing. So I remember the ball gets clear, gets chipped in. So you're just kind of whatever. The ball's someone's just going to kind of flick it out, head it out, or it's going to kind of roll out of bounds. All of a sudden, Tim Martin goes on a full run, dives, lays out, heads the ball, and we're ta- we're not talking like anywhere near the net. He on a running header probably dives. He's probably just inside the 18, sends it on a line, and it I think it just cleared or maybe hit the crossbar, but it was on a line like a shot harder than most people probably shoot yeah. it, and. Thank God he didn't hit anybody, but people were moving out of the way because he just dove up and like the defenders kind of moved out of the way. He headed it. And again, alumni soccer, Tim's got to be at the time. What's Tim now? Probably late 40s? No, Tim's probably mid 40s because I'm 48. So Tim's Tim's probably 43 maybe. So, okay. So Tim might have been late 30s at the time, maybe 37, 38. And I just remember him on a full dive in an alumni soccer game. Like, this guy's crazy. Well, when we used to play indoor, him and his brother were always on opposite teams. So inevitably, the brotherly love would show up, and they'd start doing karate against each other when they got in a fight. And we're like, we're not breaking this up. Yeah. And, and Timmy Martin had an incredible shot. He would be running down. And if Matt Bashard was back playing defense, all you'd hear was Matt Bashard going, oh, because he didn't. <laughs> He just wanted to get out of the way. He's like, I don't want to block this shot. It's going to hurt. Everybody would just get out of the way and let Timmy have the empty net rather than get tattooed. That's Yeah, and that's, that, that's just kind of the, the Tim Martin lore that I've heard of. And yeah. I, I don't, and again, I've never seen old footage of him play. I've had stories from a lot of people that have all said the same exact thing. And then I've, that one time when he went up and did a diving header in an alumni game, and I'm like, this guy is absolutely nuts. And the stories are definitely true if he did that because, again, alumni soccer game is more of like, hey, let's go out, not get hurt, and then go to the weathercock and have a couple of beers. And that, that's, that's it. Everybody, especially, you know, like at the next one, if I can play five minutes, I'm like, okay, I'll see you at the weathercock. I'm not even sticking around to find out how we did. I'm like, I'm going to get to the wings for the crowd shows up. Well, that, that was the day of two. It was like pouring rain down. Yeah. We played Augensburg before, and I remember it was freezing. I ran into the locker room, the shower, to run back out to play soccer because the game was so cold because you were just standing out. and It, it kind of miled down a bit, but that was like, I remember just being muddy. And yeah, that was a... I Jeff Triwanzik, I remember, was like in a full track suit sliding in the mud. Yeah, I get there at like 10 o'clock that day to get everything set up, and I'm like, I won't be that bad. I'll just wear my shorts and a t-shirt. And... Way before the game, I was frozen. Yeah. Th- thank God for uh, Brian Norcross letting me use his shower to get. Oh, I so also, yes, I did the same. Yeah. yeah. I also I took one spot, you know, on like the 18 that was nothing but mud, and of course, I went down right on my back. I and you know the, there was no more green; it was just mud. I'm like, Brian's like, you can use my shower. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that was. Those are always fun, though. I don't. They don't. Um, they, I guess the good thing about the alumni game, it's not every year. Yeah. So people like make an event out of it. It's, it's pretty well attended because there's a lot of people that come back for it. Yeah, it's it's always for me. It's a treat to be on the field with the players I grew up idolizing. Yeah. But I, I mean, now I'm 48, so I don't know if those guys are going to play anymore. I'm, I'm now. Timmy Ryan, of course. Timmy Ryan will still play. That guy, 
he'll be 112 and still playing at the alumni game. You know, he's one of those ageless wonders. He's looking more like Santa Claus than a soccer player now, but he he doesn't know how to turn it off when there's a competition. Yeah, he's he's uh, yeah, Tim's he, he's he's intense. I mean, in the sense of like I knew like yeah. of course like growing up with him. Uh, well, Tim's my uncle, but growing up with him like. Like you hear stories of him play, and then like, you know you could he's got he's got a little bit of that Irish like yeah he gets he gets hot he's in, which was the same like Opie was the same Nolan was the same like there's there's definitely a competitive nature but and but hard nosed players like would you know very good too they're all, oh, all yeah. good great players and it was just fun to watch him like playing with like playing with Nolan Grant like I grew up with him you know we were little little kids growing up and then when you started playing actual soccer like it was a treat to play with somebody that good because he was when I remember when I was coaching soccer trying to tell kids how good he was you couldn't do it justice because they like i'm like you just got to watch old footage and i know you guys think you're good but i said watch and not like i'd watch reruns i'm like there's no kids still doing this today like he was doing it back then and obviously nobody's done it since not even close i mean yeah. we had some good players that played for sure but nobody at that caliber because you just put him on the field and you knew he's gonna score he's good for three goals I'm like yeah he he was amazing him and stetson fields were probably yeah. the two best ball handlers i think but I mean, Stetson, you could take out of the game. Some some guys you could get angry, and, and they were no longer any good. And mm-hmm. some guys you made them angry, and they made you pay. Yeah. Well, you couldn't get Nolan angry. That was that w- that was one of his biggest strengths is you couldn't get under his skin because if you got under his skin, he just played harder, which right. made you more pissed, and then he would just score more goals. And the one the one game that one of the worst best games that we ever played, we played at home against E Town. We played, it was, I, I want to say it was 0-0 at halftime. And I remember going, sitting down, and I I think I played in the first half maybe five minutes. Like, I went in, I think, for a sub. Someone might have got injured, and I, I wasn't starting the game. And we had a really good team. I remember Rob, like, ripping the team apart. Now, granted, I, I was scared. I didn't even really play. Like, there were some players that were actually on the field. I'm like, this is, the, and, and again, having seen a lot of halftime speeches after that, that was by far the worst halftime speech I've ever heard from him, like just ripping the players. But the reason was, E-Town was very good that year. They ended up, That was the year they upset us in the finals. They, they were arguably, you know, we were probably 1-2 in the state that year. And I remember just ripping into us, and they were playing us very hard. We went out in the second half, and Nolan scored four goals in the second half. And not easy goals either. Like, And that was one of the games I remember he scored a, he scored a goal where he was falling backwards, spinning backwards, and like got tripped and like flicked it across over the, the goalie's head into the net. And one of one of the most incredible goals I've ever seen because just the body awareness, know where he was on the field to score it was, was incredible. But that was the same thing. Like you're playing in one of the biggest games of the year. Nobody's playing really good, and Nolan was just like, okay, second half, I'm just going to go score four, four goals, and he could just turn it on like that. That's, that's what great players can do. They can take over a game. Mm-hmm. I mean – I could never take over a game. I, well, if it's a zero-zero game, I was on the bench. So you didn't have the opportunity, Joe. That was it. Yeah, and <laughs> I actually thought E Town was better the year before. I, I, I mean, I know they upset you in in the finals. Oh, oh, oh yeah, five. I thought, yeah, I thought they were a better team the year before. But I mean, don't get me wrong; they were both great teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were good, and that's that was back when th- there was more. What, what like? We went through a few years where there was no other team really in our league that was good. Back then, Westport, E-Town, and Willsboro 
you had to show up at home and away against all of them because Westport was arguably the fourth best team in the league. And if you went down and played played them and scored two or three goals, you were doing very good. Same thing at home. And those Westport games were tough. And the Willsboro games were tough. And the E-Town games, obviously, from E-Town and Willsboro were the top games of the year. But you had to play those guys twice a year, home and away. And when you went and played away in Willsboro, E-Town, and Westport back then, it wasn't like you were just showing up and it was just kind of a relaxed atmosphere. Like, the t- whole town showed up for a game. Oh, yeah. And the crowd was brutal. And I'm not... I'm not saying the Shazy crowd's not brutal, but mm-hmm. I I like it. I went, like, Brian and I went to the uh, Class D basketball ge- finals, and it was, uh, what was it, Willsboro versus... Um, this year? Yeah. And, I, you know, both towns were there. There wasn't anyone, you know, the field house was packed, both sides, for for the Class D game. And it made me happy to see so much support for these kids. I mm-hmm. mean, when, when I lose... You know, you could have gone up to Willsboro and gone on a crime spree because everybody was at the field house. But well, it was nice to see. That that's one <clears throat> that was one of the coolest things when we played at the field, which was different because when you go down and play like Plattsburgh, um, say PHS in the sectional finals for soccer, two two things happen. One, it's outside, so you don't feel the crowd as much because it's it's bigger it's a bigger space. <clears throat> and two, usually depending on the weather, would cause some people not to. They would listen to it on wire or whatever and not go watch the game. When we played in the sectional finals for basketball, a couple things. One, indoors, um, smaller, like, it, you right. know, it's smaller atmosphere. And also, we had never been there. Like, that was a big deal. So, everybody was starting to follow us that year. And even people that had never even watched a Shazy basketball game from other towns were following us. And I remember going there, and I remember looking up in the stands, and both sides were packed. That was the most people I've ever played a game in front of. And it was it was pretty surreal. It was kind of one of those sports moments that again it was again my it was upstate New York, right. you know, class D basketball. But um, not being a super you know athletic person, it was it was a cool sports experience to play in front of that many people because I've never it was never replicated before. I mean, even going down the Final Four for soccer, there was a lot of people in the stands. But again, it's weather dependent, right. and the and we had a lot of people at that class D game more so than I could ever experience before. And with the final four, if the game's like 10 o'clock in the morning, three quarters of the town of Shazy's hung over, so they're not making a lot of noise. Yeah, it's a little quiet. And, you know, yeah, we we start celebrating whether you win or lose a couple days beforehand. And we, we went, which we always say we don't want to do, and I remember Rob always telling us, like, if there's ever a year we don't make it, it'd be fun to go down just the coaches because, one, you don't have all the, you're not responsible for the kids. right. Um, so you have a lot more freedom too. You you have your own car and you know, 2000, whatever year it was, I was coaching at the time. We didn't win the sectional sectional finals. And that was your E-Town went to the championship game and they had a good team that year. And, um, so we went down and it was me, McAuliffe, Norcross and Thompson. So (laughs) So the four of us went down and so basically it was just 48 hours of ragging on Thompson. Yeah, that's but, what I was just but, thinking. Yeah, but but we ended up going down to this, and, and it, it was it was bittersweet because one, you, you obviously, you right. 100% wanted to be there with the kids. and But it was, it was kind of, it was different because we could go watch some games. You could just like go and hang out and watch soccer where with no no stress level, no responsibility. You weren't, you know, responsible for 20-something kids. You weren't responsible for, you know, Making sure they were behaving, making sure they were healthy, that they weren't sick. Nobody, had, nobody was going to the hospital. Nobody, you know, you had all the food. Like, there's so many things at the Final Four that you're trying to kind of coordinate logistically. Right. 
and you didn't have that. So what it was kind of cool to go down and like just relax and go. And of course, you were going down with the three guys, and um, we didn't have, like I said, as much responsibility. So it was, we could you know go have a little bit of fun here and there. But um, yeah, it was it was just a different time. But it was fun to go down to the final four and just enjoy it and watch it and and be able to not have to get up and go to the game or not, you know, so it was, it was different. It was a different experience, but it was kind of, it was nice yeah. to do it once, but then it was like, ah, next year you miss it. You want to go down with the kids. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, it's a, from a fan perspective, it's, it's so much different. We don't, I mean, obviously when you go down, you want Chasey to win, but if you're down the night before you, you really just, you want the game to be at 10 o'clock. You want it to be over because you need a nap yeah. before the next one. Well, it's always good. The, the, morning, the morning games are always good because I like the 8, 9, 10 a.m. games. You're done by noon, and then you had the rest of the day just to kind of hang out. Right. And I'm sure for the adults, the worst games are like the 4 o'clock in the afternoon games. You know, the games that are like late and you spend all day like, like stir crazy, like we just want to go to the game, not sure if you're going to win. You get the hotel room again, and then you finally get the, uh, the game. And then, like again, everything's let out 7 o'clock, then you can go get some more drinks. But Right. When, when they played in Batavia... It was supposed to be like an eight o'clock game. Was this the snow? Yeah. So we we left. The bars closed at two. We left at two, headed down. We got there for the game. Wait, you left two AM? Yeah. To get down there for the game. Jeez. Well, so we get down there, blizzard. They're not playing. They keep pushing the game back an hour. We can't check into our hotel, but they will let us hang out in the hotel bar. So by the time So I who think, went who went down with you this time? Uh, my this was who? Myself. Tim Collins, I think Mark Wright, Alan Misek, but there's probably like 30 of us in the hotel bar because nobody can check in that early. So by the time the game started, it was brutal. Like Al Misek <clears throat> walked on into the bus, not on the bus. He, he was walking to the parking lot as we're leaving for the game. He walked right into the bus, you know, just. Oh, he couldn't see it. Yeah, he just, not, be, <clears throat> not because of the snow at this point, but because of, you know, seven hours oh, sit, oh. sitting in the hotel bar waiting for the game to start. That you're talking about snow flurries. Okay. Yeah, not that, a, you know, other flurries. Other you know? flurries, that's it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, because I've always heard stories of that, of they had to like plow the field and they played late at night, you said, right? Yeah, that was, um, but we we were not the better team. I hate to, you know, so it's not, the snow wasn't a big factor. They had a midfielder that dominated that game in a blizzard, which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had to snow blow the, the lines and stuff. It, I mean, obviously you would think, why play the game in the middle of the snow belt? But yeah, it was. Uh, but that was back when they rotated. They rotated yeah. every year. Yeah. Remember that, they had it in Poughkeepsie. They had it in. Poughkeepsie. That was a. Uh, Poughkeepsie is an Indian word that means blank you. I, we, as soon as we got in that town, we got screwed. We, we check into the hotel. The lady at the front desk, Marge, says, go over here and tell them Marge sent you. Well, Marge sent you his code for overcharge the tourist. <laughs> We, we had like two beers a piece and two appetizers for $75. I'm like, Marge and I are going to have a talk. <laughs> we get in the cab after that. and We tell the cab driver, take it someplace fun. He drops us off at a club that's closed. So we call the cab. We get the same guy. We're like, what the hell, man? This place is closed. He's like, oh, yeah. So he says, take us to someplace where three guys can have fun. So he brings us to a juice bar. And so we walk in, we realize it's a juice bar. So the bouncer doesn't want to give us back our $10 a piece cover. I'm like, listen, buddy, there's three of us. How do you want to play this for your $30? I said, we're leaving. We're getting our money back. So we call a cab, get the same guy again. Everywhere he brings us $11. So finally, he, he's pulling through this gas station. I, I used pulling through. I thought he stopped for gas. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are we stopping for gas? 
I said, everywhere in this damn town, you charge $11, you haven't brought us to any place yet. So finally he brings us to like a college bar. And it was cool for me because they had this suit that Don Mattingly wore in the Converse commercial, the striped suit. And I was always a big Mattingly fan growing up. So I'm like, how do I get that out of the case? In Poughkeepsie? Yeah. Really? Yeah, of all places, they, they had that suit from the Converse commercial in Poughkeepsie. And, you know, we're hanging out with some people that from the CIA, the cooking school, not not the CIA. We weren't, McAuliffe didn't sick the CIA on us. <laughs> um, I was going to say, that's kind of one of those deals that you, you kind of apologizes in advance for some of the fans. It's usually just Joe, Tim, and a couple other guys. Well, I can tell you at the uh, Batavia game, Tim was literally standing by himself after like 10 minutes because people just moved. He was hammered and so loud and obnoxious. <laughs> Nobody wanted to be, I mean, on a good day, people are hesitant to be associated with him. <laughs> so well, this well, is like Tim got his own section of the stadium. Uh, so out at, at of all, all, all the teams you've ever seen, what, what, is, what is your number one team? You think it was our best team ever? You know, I, I don't know. I, I love them all. Maybe Jacob Spiegel's senior year. I think that... Well, I, I think 05's number one, which is the, the team that just we, we were in. You, you would almost go with 1989. We had a lot of bad luck. You know, we weren't allowed to win the States. You know, a lot of things. I will say this. My junior year, probably hands down the best... Probably one of Shazy's all-time great teams, but we got we had to play E Town three times, and Dean Goff beat us the third time. But that team was great. You had McAuliffe, Cumin, Gondek, so many great players for their time. Mm-hmm. Back then, the game was a lot more physical and not nearly as skilled. I mean, if that team in its prime played the team today we would lose, but the team today would be surprised at how hard we hit them because that's how you played back then. Yeah. If we could catch them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I always think like Oh five and I, 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 what was the year? 13, 12, 2012 was a phenomenal team. And then I would argue our 2006 team that didn't win was one of the best teams. Cause we, we, the year E-Town beat us. Cause we were, that was, we that were was really the, good. Yeah. That was the year barrier didn't play in that game. Was that the game? There was a few people. Baker yeah. didn't play. Yeah. Like we had a, it was, it was kind of like a, there's some bad luck, but it was, I say bad luck, but it was just uh, some circumstances. Yeah. With, it was, it was self-created bad luck by yeah. those players. Yeah. And it was, uh, but it was one of those, one of those deals, that team by far, even though they didn't win, that was definitely the best team that never won. But right. that was also arguably probably one of the top three teams ever. I think from a skill perspective and just like, I mean, we were, we were okay. in the feet at the time up to that game and we were running teams over. That speaks a lot to Rob that he was willing to bench those players knowing mm-hmm. he probably wasn't going to win. But, you know, the right thing to do was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. It, same when we played for George Brown. There was no gray area. Either what you did was right or wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the great things about Shazy soccer is a lot of the times you think you're at a soccer practice, then you realize you're not, they're preparing you for life. Mm-hmm. There, there's either it's right or it's wrong. You get knocked down, you get up, you finish to play. You treat people respectfully. You know, those, are, those aren't soccer lessons. Those are life lessons. Yeah, and I, I think that what you said with George and um, Tom and Rob, like th- those guys were all guys too that like they had, you had like full respect from the players. Yeah, oh, and that, absolutely. And that's one of the, the things I don't think people get is that you don't act up in practice because you disappoint right. your coach. You know what I mean? You, like 
you obviously your teammates, but you don't disappoint your coach. That was like one of the big things is that you would do whatever. Like you're that's why I think kids play so hard because like coach wants me to play there. Okay, I'm gonna play this. Even I maybe I've never even played that position before. Because even this past year, they had to do some moving around with some kids because of injuries and things. And you know, like you've never played defense before, and he's like, okay, I'll learn it. You know what I mean? That's what you just you did. And like you said, that when you got up, especially in those big games, like it comes down to a lot of that. You just don't like coach is saying we're going to win. I'm going to win. Like mm-hmm. that's just what you what you did. It was your mindset going in. So um, I think there's a lot. And, and even now, you see, you know, Coach Brendler walking around. I mean, I, I see like you. I see even. You know, McAuliffe and guys that have played for him right. still coach. You still go up to him and a lot yeah, of respect. Yeah, he, he commands respect. I mean, you're, we're friends on Facebook. You and I, you know mm-hmm. my, my love of profanity. But I, I'm really trying to cut back on it because coach doesn't like it. And I mean, I'm 48. And if coach sent me a Facebook message saying, I didn't care for your use of the F word, take 10 laps. I'm like, I got to take 10 laps? Yeah, you, you go down yeah, the field. Because yeah. I'm like, coach told me to. You know, you, you never... You never want to disappoint your mentors, yeah. you know, no, no matter what age. And I think shazy has been very lucky through the years in their hirings to, to have gotten a George Brendler, legendary gymnastics coach, and then he became a soccer coach. Mm-hmm. And, and then Tom Tregan, and then McAuliffe. I mean, Tom Tregan was a great coach at St. John's, great coach at Shazy, athletic director, principal, and now he's George Brendler's caddy. So he's really, he's really got to be enjoying retirement. <laughs> oh God. Um, well, do we, do we want to leave it at that? Yeah. So we, we, get, we get, I think that's a good one. We get to rag on Tom at the very end. We got, yeah. we got Tom there. We got, we got Tim, we got some good, good, good uh, singers yeah. in there. So Joe, I appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks, um, thanks for having me on this very, you know, special edition of the redheaded realtor, the uh, pandemic edition. I, this is this is really sweet that every other guest was afraid to come out today. That's that's it. We 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 had we had to really dig. Um, yeah. We went with one guy that has a, an excess amount of toilet paper and, and hand sanitizer, so he 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 can show his face in uh yeah in <laughs> these uncertain times. The only thing certain is is our love for the expo. So right on. Um, all right, Joe, appreciate it. That's episode sixty nine of the Galen Trombley Show. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.